Hello, baseball fans, and welcome to Sully Baseball Daily, the podcast we talk about baseball 365 days a year, unless it's a leap year, and then we're going to do another one. I've been doing this every single day since October 24th, 2012, and I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. I'm recording this, as you can probably hear, inside the Pacific Pinball Museum in Alameda, California, the just down the 880 from the Oakland Coliseum, which I believe is its current name, the home of the Oakland A's. Uh, I've been here before. I can't remember if I've ever done a podcast from here before. I may have or may not have. I could be wrong. But this is a really wonderful place that if you were just walking down the street in Alameda, you may have passed it and not even have noticed it. But it is a wonderful museum where if you pay the price, you come down here in, in Alameda on the East Bay of the San Francisco Bay Area. As I said, just, just we're right down the street from going to an A's game. I'm here with my kids. My kids are playing pinball. And you, you pay the admission. I'm going to give them, basically give them a freaking plug here. You, you pay the admission. You can come in and you can play whatever pinball machine you want. And here they're, they're, they're just, it's rows of pinball machines. And some of them are from the 1920s, 1930s, the 70s, the 80s. And you just, it's free play. Once you pay the admission, it's just free play. You can play all day if you want. And you see the evolution. Some of them are made of wood. Some of them have flippers up top. Some flippers down bottom. There are all sorts of things. And it's wonderful. If you enjoy playing pinball, you just go from place to place. You say, I'm going to play this one for a while. I'm going to play that one for a while. And as you can hear, it's a little bit noisy. As you can hear, it's, it's, but it's a lot of fun. And I'm here, I'm, I'm at one where they, there's, it's this sort of faux Beatles band that's here. This is obviously one from the uh, 60s. But they're, they're all over the place. My kids, well, one of my kids is at an Iron Man one. The other one is, I think it's a Doctor Who. I'm not sure. It, they, it's so funny. They have these themes here. Like it matters. You're, you're playing freaking pinball. You're playing pinball and you're, 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 you got your flippers going and the balls are bouncing this way and that way. And a little bounce here and a little bounce there can just change the entire outcome of the pinball game here. And a lot of it comes from how you use your flippers, whether you get, you know, whether you uh, slam the, the, the ball the right way, or whether if you kind of hold it tight and sort of like hold the ball steady. It's just, it, it's, it's great. If you're in the Bay Area, come to Pacific Pinball Museum. Look, at, I'm giving, they're not paying me. I paid them. They should be plugging the Solid Baseball Daily podcast, but they're not, and that's fine. I get it. I get it. You get it? I get it. But playing this game is a game of bounces, and it's not random. But which way does it go? Which way does chance take you? Are you going to you know, rack up a huge score? Or are you going to just sort of flip and have it fall down next thing you know it's all over? The time that you swing with your flippers and the way it bounces here or there determines everything in the game of pinball. And I'll tell you what it got me thinking about. It got me thinking about, well, I'll, I'll get about this in kind of a roundabout way. Last year, I went to a game across the bay at AT&T Park 
with Joel Carbon, who's the founder of Ideal Seat, which is a, an app which you use to find the best seat and a baseball stadium for what your needs are, whether it is as a, uh, you know, whether you want to be a, you know, in the sun, whether you want to be in the shade, you want to catch a foul ball, you want to be near the concessions, whatever your needs are, it helps you find the best seat and the best price and everything like that. And when we were at the game at AT&T Park, I noticed that he was tracking the foul balls. He was trying to see where the foul balls landed. And by doing that, he was creating a template for where the sections of the stadium that would be the best places to sit if you want to catch a foul ball. Makes sense to me. Does it make sense to you? It makes sense to me. And so I found it to be quite interesting. It was like all of a sudden, like, hey, look at that. There is a mathematical way to try to figure out where to catch a foul ball and everything like that. And I found that to be quite impressive. Now, what I also started thinking about, though, was that there is no real record or log of foul balls in baseball history. And if you go even go to BaseballReference.com, the single greatest website in the history of the planet Earth, there's no, like, stat for foul balls. And even taking account of which foul balls and, and which foul balls and where they land and everything like that, and what that really means. Now, the thing that I find, I want to just say, by the way, keep in mind, in this podcast, I've already plugged the Pacific Pinball Museum, Ideal Seat, and BaseballReference.com. Some of you better start sponsoring me pretty dang soon. But I digress. I started thinking about the fact that sometimes in the history of baseball, there have been foul balls that have changed the course of baseball history. Now, what do I mean by that? What I mean by that is we remember the final results of at-bats. This person made an out. This person hit a home run. This person got a hit. This person did this. This person did that. We keep those in mind. But there have been many, many times that before an at-bat had its ultimate outcome, there was a foul ball. And a foul ball that, well, may just have gone fair. The person may have swung and missed. And it would have changed the outcome of a game and of history entire World Series and the fate of franchises and World Series heroes and villains and goats would have been changed. The way we view certain franchises and players and the long-term effects can sometimes be felt forever. And with that in mind, I wonder if there's ever any way we could ever calculate the most dramatic foul balls in baseball history without sitting down and going through all the games in history and start marking them down the way that Joel Carbon was marking down all the foul balls he saw falling all over the place at AT AT&T Park. A classic foul ball that could have changed the course of baseball history was hit in this most recent World Series. In the bottom of the ninth inning, 
of Game 7 of the World Series. The game was tied. I think we all know that. And in that tie game, the Aroldis Chapman, who is not your pal Sully's favorite player, came was still on the mound. And he faced uh, uh, Carlos Santana, Jason Kipnis, and Francisco Lindor. Now, remember, in each of those at-bats, with one swing of the bat, the Cleveland Indians could have won the World Series. Now, uh, Carlos Santana fouled at least one pitch off. He had six pitches for hitting a fly ball. Jason Kipnis fouled off at least two pitches as he struck out swinging for the second out. But one of the pitches that he fouled off was a drive to right field. It was a high drive to right field that hooked foul. It hooked foul. Now, with that in mind, if it didn't hook foul, it had the distance and it had the height that if it stayed down the line and kissed the foul pole, the Cleveland Indians would have won the World Series. The entire tenor of this offseason would have changed. The entire history of these two franchises would have been changed. It would have been the Indians who won the World Series and not the Cubs. Also keep in mind, Ben Zobris, the ulti- ultimately the man who would win the MVP of the World Series, fouled off a couple pitches with two strikes on him in the top of the 10th. If he swung and missed on any one of those foul balls, he would have been out instead of hitting the go-ahead double that scored Almora from second base and gave the uh, Cubs the lead for good. Just in this one, in the span of the bottom of the ninth and the top of the tenth, a series of foul balls made the, could have changed the entire course of history of those two franchises. Now think of two of the most dramatic at-bats of the 1980s. The single most dramatic at-bat of the 1980s was, and I've got to be careful saying this here in the East Bay, belonged to Kirk Gibson facing Dennis Eckersley. Kirk Gibson was hobbled by injuries. He came up as a basically a Hail Mary prayer with a runner on base to try to get a hold of one and possibly tie the game or even win the game with the Dodgers in Game 1 of the World Series. The A's were so heavily favored that the Dodgers' only hope was to try to steal one game not started by Oral Hershiser, knowing that Hershiser was unbeatable. If they could steal one game, and either before or after Hershiser's start, they felt they could possibly push a Game 7 because Hershiser would win his two starts. And it looked like Game 1 was not going to be that game. And Eckersley pitching to uh, Kirk Gibson, Gibson fouled off a bunch of pitches with two strikes on him, with not a lot of strength in his knees, and he had to lean on a bat like a cane at one point. 
Now just imagine, and it's not hard to imagine when you watch that at bat, because up until he hit the home run, it was actually kind of sad seeing the eventual National League most valuable player hobbling around like a, like a, like a one-legged man at the plate. And a couple of times he fouled and fouled and fouled. It was a little bit late or a little bit earlier on those, any of those pitches that he fouled off or made enough contact on those foul balls that he dribbled the ball to second base. The only place where he could have made any damage with a swing was what, what ultimately happened, was he got a hold of one and it fell into the right field stands for one of the most dramatic home runs in baseball history. Instead, if he had dribbled the ball to second or swung and missed any of those pitches, the Dodgers lose game one and chances are they lose that World Series. It may go six games because we saw what happened, but at the same time, that was one of the most significant game one victories in the history of baseball because it put the A's right on their heels. Everyone knew the ramifications of that. They knew Hershiser was pitching game two. They knew that the, suddenly the A's were heavy underdogs in the second game and were facing an opportunity of being down 0-2 going back to Oakland, down the street here. All those foul balls. Of course, two years prior, you saw the Red Sox and the Mets. Think of all those foul balls that Mookie Wilson fouled off, fouled off, barely getting a piece of one. If he swung and missed, or, as I said, made enough contact on those to hit a grounder to Marty Barrett, notice I didn't say a grounder to Buckman, then think about what has changed in the history of baseball for that. If the A's go on to win that 88 World Series, chances are they have a juggernaut. If the Red Sox win that 86 World Series, the curse is over. Wade Boggs is a world champion as a Red Sox. Roger Clemens is a world champion as a Red Sox. Bill Buckner's legacy is forever as a hard-nosed player who had a nice, long, wonderful career. Jim Rice is in the Hall of Fame on the first ballot instead of the 15th because the entire analysis would have been, hey, uh, Yastrzemski and Williams had better stats, but they won the World Series with Rice. Hell, Dwight Evans is probably in the World Series. John McNamara is probably remembered as a lovable baseball lifer. And instead, it became the Mets, and the Mets would have been considered one of the great disappointments in recent baseball history. Recent, more than 30 years now. Foul ball after foul ball. I'll give you another example of one. In 2009, in the World Series between the Philadelphia Phillies and the New York Yankees, the Phillies had tied the game on a dramatic home run by Pedro Feliz in game four. If they won game four, they had Cliff Lee, who was unstoppable, going in game five and would probably take a 3-2 lead back to Yankee Stadium where all they would have to do is split the last two games and they would repeat as World Series champions. And all they had to do was get to the bottom of the ninth inning with the game tied. Two outs, nobody on. Brad Lidge, who had a terrible season but was looking like he was regaining his form in that ninth inning, faced Johnny Damon, who fouled off probably 40,000 pitches. If he doesn't foul off one of those pitches, swings and misses, his timing is a little different, pops it up. They go to the ninth inning tied. They're not facing Rivera, and chances are the Phillies 
have a really good chance to push a run across, win that game, hand it to Lee, blah, blah, blah. The World Series unfolds in a very different way. Instead, Damon fouls off all those pitches and winds up getting a hit, winds up stealing second, and with the infield shifted over, steals third because no one was covering third, and the Yankees went on to the game-winning rally. All those foul balls aren't remembered, but they are as dramatic and as critical as the ball that he hit into left field to spark the rally. One that I know has been forgotten to time, but I think about often because I was a big Pirates fan. I loved rooting for the Pirates in the early 1990s because I was a big Bonds fan. I was a big Bobby Bonilla fan and Andy Vance like and Jose Lean and Doug Drabeck and Jim Leland. I thought those were one of my favorite teams of all time. And when they faced the Braves, no, not the Francisco Cabrera game. But in the previous year, where they were the better team on paper, and they were losing 1-0 in the bottom of the ninth of game six, but were up 3-2 in the series. The tying run was on third. Alejandro Pena was pitching to Andy Vance like, and he hit a deep drive to right field. And I can still remember Joe Buck's call. Right from the beginning, yelling, that's a foul ball. That's a foul ball. Because it was high and deep, but hooking foul. And the notion that everyone had in their mind was they're about to win the National League pennant on a two-run home run by Andy Vance-like. Instead, he was called out on strikes eventually, and the Pirates were shut out in Game 7, and that team never went on to the World Series. I think about that ball hooking. And if it stayed fair... Think about how baseball would have been different. The Braves would not have gone in that World Series against Minnesota. You would have seen the Bonds, Bonilla, Van Slyke Pirates in the World Series. And chances are, I don't know if they would have won or not because that Twins team was stacked. But it would have been a good one. It turned out to be a good one. Hell, the World Series against the Braves is one of the best of all time. I think about the foul ball that Scott Rowland hit in the ninth inning of Game 3 of the division series against San Francisco in 2012. The Giants down 2-0 in the series, tied in the ninth. Roland hits a deep drive to left field, and it hooks foul. If it stays fair, the Reds sweep the series and would go on to play the Cardinals. Would they have beaten the Cardinals? I don't know. But the Dusty Baker Reds would have moved on and had home field advantage in the NLCS and the World Series and have a wonderful shot of winning a World Series and probably putting Dusty Baker in the Hall of Fame and seeing the likes of Joey Votto and Brendan Phillips and all those players from that Reds team being an all-time favorite Reds team because they went on and blah, 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 if that Scott Rowland ball didn't hook foul. But it did. The Giants wanted to win that game and the next two games and went on to win the World Series. The two of three this decade. Well, people forgot the Reds were even in the postseason. A ball hooking foul. I would argue the most dramatic foul ball in the history of baseball was probably hit up the street what once was Candlestick Park with the San Francisco Giants losing one nothing in the bottom of the ninth of Game 7 of the World Series. But Ralph Terry on the mound, the man who surrendered the walk-off World Series winning homer to 
Bill Mazeroski just two years before. Suddenly was in a situation with Willie McCovey up. A base hit would have driven home Alou and Mays, and the Giants would have won the World Series in 1962. Willie McCovey, one of the great power hitters of his generation, hit a long, deep ball to right field that hooked foul. If it stayed fair, it would have been a home run. It would have been, arguably, the most dramatic home run in the history of baseball. That the ball left the pitcher's hand with the Yankees on the verge of winning the World Series and him hitting a home run that gave the World Series to the Giants. As it stood, he hit the next ball like a laser beam. It just happened to be right at Bobby Richardson. A little bit to the left and a little bit to the right. It would have gone into right field and the Giants would have won. The San Francisco Giants would have had their World Series right out of the gate. Marichal, McCovey, Cepeda, Alou, Mays, all those great players on those San Francisco Giants team right out the gate would have had a world championship. And who knows with that monkey on their back whether or not there would have been more down the line. The Giants' dramatic World Series championship of 20, 2010 was so emotional because it was the first time they ever won despite all the superstars they had. With that ball didn't go foul if it stayed fair and kissed the foul pole. Man, could you have imagined that? And I mean, just off the top of my head, I think of other foul balls. Bernie Carbo's dramatic home run happened after he just barely tipped the foul ball out of the mitt of Johnny Bench. The famous strikeout of Grover Cleveland Alexander of Tony Lazari in the 1926 World Series took place after he hit a deep foul ball that hooked foul. These are the moments, like the ball bouncing around on this pinball machine. It bounced here instead of there. Tiny little variables change the outcome. Scott Rowland, the Scott Rowland homer, the Willie McCovey homer, the Andy Van Slyke homer, the Brad Lidge strikeout of Johnny Damon, Dennis Eckersley's strikeout of uh, Kirk Gibson, the Jason Kipnis homer, the strikeout of Ben Zobrist. Foul balls preceded all those moments that I just said the opposite of what really happened in each one of those events. But if one thing happened instead of the other, one tiny variable happened instead of the other, entire franchises, history, reputations of players would have been altered forever. Someday I gotta sit down and figure out what the most dramatic foul balls of all time were. But right now, I have to concentrate on doing the baseball podcast every single day, playing a little pinball along the way as well. So go to SullyBaseball.com, like me on Facebook, Trevor, iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Twitter, Stitcher, Instagram, I'm everywhere. The music is by Ted Thacker and Patrick Kulisky. Playing a little pinball, a la the pinball wizard. This has been the Solid Baseball Daily Podcast from the Alameda Pacific Pinball Museum. And I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sullivan.